0: Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Problems of having a stammer. Uh, Chapter 3, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, Lord, as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Amen.
1: Hello again. Are you still awake? Are you still here? Right. So let's pray as we explore this passage of Scripture together. Father, grant us the grace to desire you and in desiring to seek your face and that in seeking that we will find you and love you with our whole heart. And Lord, as we seek you, help us to be mindful of the fact that you are seeking us so much more. Amen. So this October, Kate and myself and the children, of course, have been here four years. How time flies, maybe it's dragged for you. Um, I'm not sure. But in uh, my monthly email that I sent out, the October email that goes out to uh, many of the church community on email, um, there was a funny typo this week. It said this, we love living and love the community of Christchurch and Baston Hill very much. was speaking about myself and Kate and the children. But what it should have said was, we love living here. Although, of course, we do love living. Uh, That's very true, um, but we do love living here. That's what we actually uh, meant to say. The other one, uh, I think, uh, goes without saying, hopefully. Anyway, maybe you noticed that typo. Anyway, each year on the anniversary of my licensing as vicar, I preach on an aspect of the vision that God's inspiring for us or something of where we're at in the adventure that God is leading us into. So at a bit of a, a, a stop and a, a see where we're at and what God wants to do with us and in us and through us. And so on this fourth anniversary, I've chosen this passage from the book of Malachi chapter 3. And I think it's got a, a lot to, to say to us as a church at this time. And I think it will continue to do so. It's an awesome section of Scripture, which is incredibly exciting but also mightily daunting, as you'll see. And I've been living with this for quite a few weeks now, and other people have have been talking with me about it and been praying into it, and it's been a real challenge for me, and it'll probably be a real challenge for you too, and something we can uh, go through together. Well, you'll have noticed that Malachi talks of God coming like a laundress soap, and Louise has helpfully drawn our attention to that. So I've chosen an appropriate joke, for this morning. That was Steve groaning there, wasn't it? The warden. Yes, that's right. Anyway, he's not heard it. So a young couple brought a new home, their first home together, and they moved in. The next morning while they were eating breakfast, the young woman saw her neighbour hanging the washing outside. That washing's not very clean, she said. She doesn't know how to wash properly. Perhaps she needs better washing liquid. So her husband looked on but remained silent. Every time her neighbor put out the washing to dry, the young woman would criticize with the same comments. About one month later, the woman was surprised to see nice load of washing on the line and said to her husband, look, she's learned how to wash properly. I wonder what's happened. And The husband turned from his cup of tea and replied, I got up early this morning and cleaned our windows. (laughs) interestingly Malachi tells us that Israel are so busy picking faults with God that they've lost sight of their own inadequacies it's like they're looking at God through dirty windows and when we read the book of Malachi it's helpful to picture a courtroom scene of a defendant and those bringing charges Throughout the book the writer adopts a question and answer style of writing and that enhances the image and the picture somewhat. At the start the Lord is the defendant with the people of Israel bringing two charges against him. You've not loved us they say to God and you've not acted as the God of justice. In fact you've rewarded wicked people. God's people are concerned that God isn't fulfilling his duties in their covenant relationship, like a neglectful husband or wife in what should be a committed marriage. And having made their accusations, Israel is then quickly put on the defensive by counter-accusations from God about his people, and the courtroom roles are totally reversed. Where we pick up on the narrative in chapter 3 we can see that God's people are being anything but faithful. They're not living in a committed way to God, and as a result, they're not necessarily aware that they've wearied God or done anything to distance themselves from Him. And their questions seem to indicate that there's a kind of ambivalence in their approach. Are we bothered? You know, do we care? It is what it is. As far as they're concerned... God is totally missing from their lives and he does nothing anyway. So why bother with him? Where is the God of justice? They ask. Are you even there? Do you even care? And Malachi highlights how God sees this situation and he sees it as the fruit of their attitude to their relationship, their indifference and their sin. In fact, God sees very clearly that their sin is a shocking indication of a we-couldn't-care-less approach towards God, which comes out of their falling out of love with Him. And straight away, this suggests some quite uncomfortable questions for us, some squeaky bum questions as we shuffle uncomfortably on our chair. Could God be saying anything like this to us? If we were stood before Him in the courtroom what questions would we be throwing at him? Do you care? Are you bothered? Are you even there? And in so many ways, we feel justified in these questions, and that's understandable. But do we see that ultimately, this is like looking at clean washing through dirty windows? God says, you know, everyone, the fault, unfortunately, it lies with you you are the ones who've moved away from me, not the other way around. And so what questions might God be putting to us? How are you being faithful to me? Have you fallen out of love with me? Are you committed to our relationship? Have you allowed the ups and downs of life and the pulls and the attractions of life to drive a wedge between us? Is your sin getting in the way like an iceberg between two ships that want to come alongside one another? Are you indifferent towards me? Are you bothered enough to show up in court but little more? Let's remember, though, that God asks these questions because he loves us, because he longs for things to be sorted out. He longs for our relationship with him to be restored and put right you know, it thrills me, it really does, to see God sparking all sorts of life in and through Christchurch. amazing things that God is doing. And he shows constantly and consistently that he's ahead of us, drawing us into things, leading us into his purposes, not least because of all the, uh, the people we're, we're meeting and building relationship with who were previously so unconnected with church that there's an unprecedented opportunity in mission. But so much of our church community life, I think, can seem to be hindered by and affected by a sort of dampening blanket of weariness in our relationship with God, or even dissatisfaction or indifference for one reason or another. And I see that in myself. Let's be honest. I think it's time that we were. We have so much God-given potential as a church but we really do need a spiritual rebirth, a renewing of our marriage vows between ourselves and God. We need to be renewed and refreshed by God's power and his presence. We need to confess our habitual, hidden, damaging sin, our lack of intimacy with the Lord, our stubbornness in our approach to God. It's time, brothers and sisters, to lay it all down and to be honest about it. When faced with God's searching, heart-probing questions, there's really no place to run, nowhere to hide. There's only one real outcome, and it's this. Suddenly, the Lord you're seeking, the one you've been struggling to find, will come to his temple. God will show up, and he'll make his presence felt to people who think that the best of the relationship lies in the past, for those who are doubtful of God's care, for those whose lifestyles have taken them further and further and further away from God. I think the word suddenly hints at how those who think God is totally absent from the world, totally absent from their lives, will be surprised, shocked even to discover that he's not. Time and time again, Jesus told his followers to watch and prepare. For his coming. And the writer Paul, the Apostle Paul, was constantly concerned that the churches would be found pure, holy, and blameless when the Lord comes in glory. For Israel, the coming of the Lord meant that day when God would roll out his reign over all the earth and restore his people to himself. It's an awesome picture of God's power and glory And it's no wonder that the prophet asks, who can endure the day of his coming? Good question. At that moment, the moment when he comes, all our protests, our feeble claims of faithfulness, our half-hearted commitment, our lackluster promises, our limping worship, and our excuses for our indifference, unbelief, and sin will be utterly futile before the fire of the glory of the Lord. Let's face it, everybody. Unless God shows us mercy and saves his people, we will not survive his coming. But the amazing promise shown in Malachi is that God will save and he will be merciful. He comes in dreadful judgment for sure. His people have doubted that he's the God of justice, and so justice will have to come and we'll have to face that reality. In the courtroom, Malachi tells us that God will testify against us, against our disobedience and unfaithfulness for breaking the covenant commandments with him, for taking advantage of the vulnerable, not protecting the weak, not looking out for the stranger, not being particularly committed to his church and one another, not sharing his love with those we spend our lives with, not including everyone no matter who they are, not giving generously and not playing our full part in his mission. In short, for doing anything that goes against all that is required for those who've chosen to live in a relationship with God. And so having made this clear, God makes a wonderful promise. His people will not be consumed by his fire, the fire of the coming of his glory, because of his grace, because of his love. God has never stopped loving his people, And he loves us still. He does not change. We sang that in uh, one of the first songs, didn't we? And the covenant relationship with him remains intact. In fact, his people are part of his ongoing purposes for revealing his love in the world. We're crucial to his plans. We're vital to his plans. He loves us so much. And so God comes to his people, not as a consuming fire, but as a refining fire and a launderer's soap, a cleansing soap. He comes in mercy, in love. This reminds uh, me of a time 20 years ago or so when I was a youth minister in Stoke, and we held a large youth celebration for young people in the area called Grab That Vine, and it was a regular event, and we had great fun, hundreds of young people I would turn up to this. And one particular time, we had a game show. We used to have a lot of game shows. And, uh, and the contestants had to wash dirty clothes. And the, there, was, there was a point to it, similarly to the uh, demonstration that you did, Louise, uh, this morning. But they used a washing powder, and it was a sort of play on, on a word, and we called it lusto. And there was a strap line for when things get really dirty. That was, that was what it was. And the young people found that quite funny, and it had a good point. But I had a, a lot of well, um, quite strong complaints from youth uh, leaders about that because they were unhappy at us hinting at or mentioning sex in church with young people. That was the approach they took. And now, of course, you know, sex uh, gets a, a bad press, doesn't it? And we can focus on that all too much. But, of course, we don't want to feel guilty about our sin, not least any sin that 's related to sex, but of course God does want to wash us clean where that 's needed because He wants the best for us and that was the point back then with all those young people and that 's still the point for us today. God wants the best for us, and no matter what we 've done, no matter where we 've failed, no matter where our weaknesses are, God wants the best for us. He wants to restore us and so Malachi tells us that the fire of god 's presence We'll remove all the dross and dirt, every stain and blemish from Israel, and that promise is certain for us too. The fire will burn away every impurity, and the laundress' soap will wash us whiter than white. This is my prayer for us as a church at the moment, and I know it's become the prayer of others too. This seems to be God's heart for us as his church at this time, in this place. It's where we're heading His spirit will come, just as we've prayed. But we must be prepared. He is a refiner's fire. He will come and he'll draw us close. And as he does, he'll be at work transforming, cleansing and changing because we're his people. In short, God wants to deal with our deepest spiritual needs and change us into the people he wants us to be. And as I've said, this is incredibly exciting I think, but it's also mightily daunting. Through Malachi, God reassures his people, though, by saying these four words. God says this, do not fear me. Do not fear me. Having been refined by him, God will make us more fruitful. And we see this in verse 5 verse, and verse 4 of chapter 3. He will increase our favor and influence. We'll walk more closely with him and we'll more easily make a difference for him. Our relationships will be renewed, our worship transformed and set free, our commitment to prayer will increase, our care for our friends and neighbors will multiply, our giving will flow, and our part in God's mission will be more adventurous still. Do you want that? Do you want that? Yes, so do I. I'm very glad to hear it. God will stir us and I want us to be prepared that that might be unsettling for a time. But it is for a purpose, it's for God's purpose. And we need to rest assured in God's promises that He will love us to bits along the way and throughout the whole process. But of course, all of this hinges on our response. Do we have the courage to face God's questions? and face up to our excuses and our failings and our indifference? Are we prepared to see that the washing is in fact clean? We've been looking at God through dirty windows. The fault unfortunately lies with us in the cooling of our relationship with God. And are we brave enough to watch and wait for the Lord's coming in glory? Are we bold enough to stand in his refining fire It will not consume us, but it will transform us. Will you then join me in watching and waiting for the coming of our loving, merciful Lord? And as we do, I encourage us all to be open to what God is saying to you and to us as a church. What transformation does he want to see in you, in me, and in us? For the us part, if you have words or prophecies or pictures then please do share them with either Kate or Mia or myself or write them down or email them to us as best you can. And that way we can weigh them up and we can pray over them and we can then uh, feed them into our times together and our worship. So to finish, what will you do in response? What one thing are you going to do to watch and wait and to be prepared for the Lord's coming What one thing can you do this week? So Christ Church, this is my prayer, that we will watch and wait. Because suddenly, the Lord we are seeking will come to his temple. He'll be like a refiner's fire, a laundress soap. Amen.